Hello race fans and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode. Today we're going to talk all about one of my favourite series, if not my favourite series in world motorsport right now, which is the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And if you're unfamiliar with IMSA, where have you been? It's just such fantastic motorsport. In effect, it's basically the premier category of motor racing, uh, for sports car racing, I should say, in the in North America, and very much the equivalent of the World Endurance Championship that we have here in Europe and further afield as well. And you'll see a number of cars and drivers coming over from IMSA to race in a variety of series over here in Europe as well. Now, for those of you who might remember the days of the American Le Mans series, which was founded uh, in 1998 with the first ever Petit Le Mans, um, founded by the great Dr. Don Penos, and the series got going proper in 1999. But it ran alongside another sports car championship called Grand Am, which was owned by the France family and basically run by the, by the NASCAR organization in effect and um, basically it didn't necessarily make sense to have two um, rival um, sports car series and that was very much um, you know we saw how how much of an effect that had in the IndyCar world by having Champ Car and the Indy Racing League going off against each other and uh, I, you know when when those two um, when those two series came together uh, the IndyCar Championship has gone from strength to strength. And IMSA is exactly the same. Back in 2014, both Grand Am and the American Le Mans series merged to form the United Sports Car Championship, which now become became IMSA. Now, the name IMSA has been around since, since the late 60s, the International Motorsports Association, and has been synonymous with the top level of sports car racing in North America. And the thing, I, want, I mean, there's lots of things to love uh, about IMSA. The first thing, really, is the tracks and, in, and, to a certain extent, the events as well. Throughout the season, the the teams go to some of the most amazing racing circuits and facilities in the world. Starting off with the uh, with the championship's flagship event, the Rolex Twenty Four Hour at Daytona, which I had the immense privilege of attending this year. Regular listeners to the show will remember a number of the interviews and content that we managed to capture while I was over there uh, in January. And the facility is just uh, it is just staggeringly massive. Um, and the competition on show is, is just superb. The fan access is incredible. And the cars, which we'll come on to, very, very impressive as well indeed. And then uh, from Daytona, the series goes on to the Sebring 12-hour. Again, one of the oldest motor races, one of the oldest sports car races in the world. It's been going since 1952. Um, so as you can imagine, appro- approaching its, uh, its 70th anniversary. And some of the other circuits on, on the calendar, there's some absolute gems like Road Atlanta, Long Beach, the streets of Long Beach, Laguna Seca, Mid-Ohio, uh, Road America, Lime Rock Park, um, Virginia International Raceway, VIR, one of my absolute favourites. They even go north of the border to Canada to Mossport or Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. So all of the circuits in the IMDA Championship, there are, there are no duff circuits on the calendar. They're just, 
there is such a superb combination um, of, of tracks. The cars are e are equally impressive. Now, uh, in the GT ranks, the there is a very similar recipe to what we see in other championships. So we have the uh, for pro drivers um, entered in, normally by manufacturers teams. We have something called GTLM, which stands for Grand Touring Le Mans. Um, so GTLM. Now those cars run under the same regulations as the GTE cars, which you would see racing at Le Mans. So you're talking Porsche 911 RSR, Ferrari 488, um, the BMW M8, and La and previously the Ford GT, which sadly no longer competes. Um, so these are proper, fa usually factory efforts, all pro drivers. There's no restrictions on the drivers. You could put three Formula One drivers in if you really wanted to. Um, so there's it's, it's a completely free class in terms of driving, uh, in terms of the drivers you choose. Then there is also the GTD category, which stands for Grand Touring Daytona. Now, this is slightly different. The GTD category runs to the glo the very popular global GT3 regulation, which we see racing all over the world at Bathurst, Spa, Suzuka, British GT, French GT, you name it, you'll find GT3 racing cars. And the number of manufacturers on show in this is just exceptional. I shall try off the top of my head to remember them all, and I won't. Um, you have Ferrari 488s, Audi R8s, Lamborghini Huracans, Mercedes AMGs, Porsche 911s, um, what else? Acura NSXs, um, Lexus, even a front-engined Lexus uh, uh, as well, or or they actually have Lexuses or Lexi, as they were referred to by Alan Partridge. Um, who else am I forgetting? Um, McLaren. There's a, there, there's been a McLaren there as well, and and many many others. Now the difference with GTD, the GT Daytona category, is that this is very much a pro am effort. So of course in sports car racing you need to share, obviously they're longer races, so you need to share the driving duties. Um, and the way that the, the business model works for the GTD category is that you have a amateur driver, who usually a very wealthy person, uh, who is usually funding part of, if not all, of the whole programme. And it's very much a leisure activity for them to go and race and, and have fun and race at some of the greatest events in the world and some of the greatest uh, circuits in the world. And they will take on a portion of driving and they will hire a pro driver to share the driving with them. So, for example, Wright Motorsports Porsche have uh, a guy called Ryan Hardwick who is... Uh, owns um, a mountain sports company um, and he employs Porsche factory driver Patrick Long to share the uh, share the driving duties with them and there are many many other examples and the way that it works is you have a driver grading system so you can only have a certain grade of driver in the AM seat if you like and then the pro seat you can have a certain grade of driver as well. So you've basically got the GTLM, which is for all full full out pros, and the GTD, which is a pro am category. In the prototype side of things, this is where it gets really serious because in the prototype thing, thing this is where IMSA at the moment have a, a unique formula, which is called DPI, Daytona Prototype International. 
And the DPI cars are really, really interesting pieces of kits. They start life, the base chassis starts life as a normal LMP2 car, which you would find at Le Mans, where a lot of them entered at Le Mans this year. So a full prototype racing car bears no resemblance at all to a road-going car. It's a complete carbon fibre monocoque chassis with bodywork put on top, basically. If, if you like, it's kind of like a single-seater racing car with a with a roof, more or less, um, in, in general. Obviously, I'm, I'm generalising. But that, the... Then, this is where it gets interesting, because they buy, a, effectively, an off-the-shelf chassis which already exists, which cuts down the cost, of course. And then they can add in whichever engine they want. And they can also then put body um, bodywork styling cues to relate to their road car um, the road car portfolio. So the front of the car very much looks like the road going versions of or the road going design language, if you like, of that particular manufacturer. So in DPI you have Mazda, where it's got a very much a Mazda looking front end. You've got Cadillac, which has got a bit more of a really aggressive Cadillac V series looking front end, and you also have Acura uh, as well, and again styling based around that. Uh, Mazda, they buy a Multimatic chassis and go from there. Um, Cadillac buy a Delara chassis and go from there, and Acura buy an Orica chassis and, and go from there. And it, the, the thing that I love about the DPI category is it's the variety in the engine. The chassis are pretty similar, but the engine is not. The Cadillac uses a thumping great naturally aspirated V8 where the ground, having stood very close to one, the ground shakes when it leaves the, the pit stall. Absolutely extraordinary piece of kit. A bulletproof car, very, very, very fast um, and and loud, which is which is cool. In stark contrast, you have the Mazda. Now, the Mazda is a tiny little 2-litre. The Cadillac is a 5.5-litre. The Mazda is a 2-litre 4-cylinder, and you think, how can that possibly compete? Well, put an enormous turbocharger on it, and you're, and you're, a bit, you're halfway there. Um, the engine is actually developed by a company called Advanced Engine uh, Research, or AER, you might have referred to it, or you might have heard of it as. And so that's the, the Mazda engine. The Acura engine is a little bit more different. It's a, it's a V6 uh, with two turbochargers as well. So you've got three completely different engines. Um, but what the EMSA Championship do is they apply the balance of performance method to ensure as close as they can that the cars are as closely matched in performance. And as you can imagine, with that disparity in engine spec, shall we say, the uh, that it does require a little bit of balancing here and uh, there and again in the dpi category you can put whoever you like in the car and as we'll go on to some of the names racing in imza in dpi get more and more impressive by the day we also have it's not necessarily a massive category but you also can bring a european style lmp2 car over to run in imza and there is a subclass for that but it's not the it's not got that many cars in it and doesn't necessarily often produce uh, much really to talk of note to talk about because the 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 often the standard of entries is often quite often quite far apart. So mainly the the three main categories are DPI, GTLM, and GTD. So what did we see in this all also strange of twenty twenty seasons? Well, 
Of course, the, the series got started um, at the Rolex 24-hour at Daytona, and as always, there's just huge excitement surrounding this event because there's a lot of people in new cars, there's new drivers, there's all sorts of things to, to get excited about. And, and I, like I say, I, it was such an immense privilege to, to see it up close, um, to spend a weekend in the... Uh, uh, in the media center, speaking to a lot of the drivers who often when they come out of the car, they'll come into the media center and do a quick debrief and then go for a <laughs> go for a sleep before it's time to get back into uh, into the car again. Even had we even got uh, free pizza from Acura, which was very kind. So thank you, Acura, for the free pizza. And also the best part was uh, an unlimited Gatorade fridge. I've never drank so much Gatorade in my entire life, but <laughs> you needed the energy to get you th- get you through. Uh, the night and one of the most extraordinary things was was uh, just uh, around 6:30 7 o'clock in the morning on the sunday morning the race is still roaring on and i'd had an hour's sleep sitting on the on the hard floor in the uh, in the media center and uh, thought that's about all i'm going to manage and then got got back out and uh, outside with a, another cup of coffee and watched the Florida, January Floridian sunrise, which is something that will stick with me for, for a long time, especially with the sound of 40 race cars roaring around the almost amphitheatre-like setting of the Daytona International Speedway. If you're a NASCAR fan, you'll know well of what Daytona is all about in the oval circuit, but of course the Rolex 24-hour at Daytona incorporates half of the oval circuit and, and also the road circuit section in the infield. And the the it was there was such a such an intriguing race uh, this year at the Rolex Twenty Four. Of course, we saw Wayne Taylor Racing go on to win the race with Ryan Briscoe, Kamui Kobayashi, Scott Dixon, and Renger Van de Zander. Now, Ryan Briscoe and Renger Van de Zander are the regular season drivers for that car, with Kamui Kobayashi being brought in for the Rolex Twenty Four Hour only, and Scott Dixon coming to do the other uh, endurance events. Um, and none of those four drivers will be in that car next year, which uh, we, we shall uh, come on to. Now, our eventual DPI champions, Ricky Taylor and Elio Castroneves, uh, actually their season got off to the worst possible start. In the in the opening two to three hours of the, the race, uh, at the bus stop chicane, a very, very fast chicane, uh, Harry Tinknell in the Mazda DPI took a big dive up the inside and actually made quite considerable contact with the um, Acura of uh, of Elio Castroneves and actually put that car well out of the running. They did eventually get back out on the circuit, I think, but um, long, long, long way uh, behind, uh, behind the leader. They were in the pits for hours. Um, and I remember those who those who maybe seen it when Helio Castroneves was of course as soon as he got out of the car he has the camera and the microphone shoved in his face to ask for his opinion of of this incident and um, he he grabbed the camera and stared at the camera and just shouted twenty four hours because he was so frustrated that there had been such an aggressive move so early on in such a long race and he did have a bit of a point to be fair to him. So after the Rolex 24 at, at, at Daytona, of course, uh, that's the end of January. It was due to be the Sebring 12-hour on schedule in the middle of March, which, again, I had my tickets ready, cl- clutching my tickets, ready to go over to that event. I'd had so much fun at Daytona that I got straight home and booked my tickets to go to um, to go to go the Sebring 12-hour. But, as we all know, early March this year, the whole world changed quite considerably, shall we say, and unfortunately the event was cancelled. 
What that meant was that back on uh, uh, the season reconvened on the 4th of July, on Independence Day, with a special, of course, that the normal IMSA calendar kind of had to get thrown out the window. And the, the organisers, led by John Doonan, the president of IMSA, did an incredible job to um, to basically to to build a whole new calendar and get the get the paddock racing again, which was uh, fantastic. It really, really was. So on the fourth of July, they all convened at uh, back at Daytona again um, for the WeatherTech two forty. Um, so WeatherTech, uh, man, one of the biggest manufacturers in the world of auto accessories. Um, you'll see if you watch the Super Bowl, you'll see their advert on the Super Bowl, and they are uh, the family that own WeatherTech. The McNeils are hugely into their motor racing, and their son Cooper races in the IMSA Championship in a Ferrari as well. And they backed this this new event called the WeatherTech 240, a two hour and forty minute race, the normal sprint length sprint race length for IMSA. And uh, again, this this was remember our eventual champions, Ricky Taylor and Elio Castroneves. They'd had a disaster at the Rolex Twenty Four Hour, and then early on in this event at Daytona, they hit engine trouble. Um, a very now, bearing in mind that they raced for Acura or raced for Acura Team Penske, and for Acura Team Penske to have an engine issue is very, very unusual. Penske is not uh, not a team which you associate with the word failure ever. It just doesn't happen. Um, so professional and so well organised are, are are they as an outfit? But unbelievably, a few weeks later at Sebring, a kind of creator, a kind of Florida swing, if you like. Um, at Sebring, the same thing happened again. So three races, virtually no points on the table. But from then on, and then shortly after that, the news came out that Penske and Acura would be ending their partnership at the end of the season and Acura's efforts would be going elsewhere and Penske would be going off to do other things. So not only have Ricky and Elio have had a disastrous start to the season, they're also out of a drive. Um, and most normal human beings, most regular day-to-day -day average Joes would have sunk their head in the sand and probably felt quite sorry for themselves. I know I would have, but that's not in the makeup of racing drivers and it's certainly not in the makeup of Ricky Taylor, who's now a double IMSA champion, and it's not in the makeup of a three-time Indy 500 winner either in Helio Castroneves. And what those two guys did over the rest of the season well, for me, will go down in IMSA history because they just went on an absolute winning tear. And it all came down to the final round of the championship um, at Sebring. So the Sebring 12-hour actually finished the season and what a dramatic season finish it was. And it went down to the final race, ironically, between Ricky Taylor and Elio Castroneves in the Acura Penske, or Penske Acura, I should say, <laughs> and... Wayne Taylor Racing, of course, Ricky's father, Wayne, um, a, a very prominent team owner in IMSA as well. So the Cadillac of Wayne Taylor Racing and the Acura of Team Penske. And so for, for Wayne Taylor, he was probably going to be a winner either way because if his team won the championship, well, there we go. And if they didn't win, well, it was going to be his son who was also going to be champion. So I can imagine he was um, probably going into that last day relatively, relatively uh, relaxed. But Quite incredibly, in the early stages of, of of the race, Ricky Taylor was absolutely flying um, uh, again. And it looked to me that Elio and Ricky and their co-driver uh, Alexander Rossi 
we're going we're gonna to just clear off and win this race by a long way. And then, lo and behold, an, an engine turbo issue. They ended up having to be in the pits for 30 minutes and replace the turbo, which, of course, in a field as tightly packed as, as IMSA, they, that, was, that was their kind of day done, really. Um, and it then was very much a, a, a case of what happened to to the, the number 10 Wayne Taylor car, which ended up not winning, ended up clashing with one of the Mazdas and ended up not scoring enough points to win the championship. And Ricky and Elio were, were crowned the, the IMSA champions and, quite honestly, thoroughly deserving when you consider the amount of points that were dropped um, by no, no fault of their own um, mechanical issues, which mechanical gremlin which seemed to repeat itself for for whatever reason um uh, and they they still went on to win the championship and and a fantastic job they did for the for the number 10 car for for wayne taylor racing you know they've won a lot of championships in uh, in imza remember in 2017 in the first year of dpi they went on an absolute charge and uh, ricky and uh, ricky and his brother jordan actually raced in the car for so it was dad was the team boss and ricky and ricky and jordan the two sons was racing the car and they won the first five races of the of the championship absolutely uh, immense um performance and they and then of course they went on to win win the championship as as well but it went to the racing they've been so dominant at the uh, rolex 24 hour uh, at daytona um you know they won it they won it with jeff gordon um, Ricky Jordan and uh, and Jeff Gordon. They won it with Kamui Kobayashi and Fernando Alonso the year after that, and then also um, won won the race this year with with Scott Dixon, Kamui Kobayashi, uh, and Ryan Briscoe and Renger van der Zande. So this year they you know they won the Rolex Twenty Four Hour and they also won the Petit Le Mans, the Ten Hour uh, Classic as well. So they won two of the three big classic races, but didn't quite get the get the championship. And as we'll come on to, that was their last year using the trusty Cadillac DPI, which has brought them so much success. Next year, moving to Acura, which we'll 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 come on to. So with DPI, it was a you know amazing you know Penske won the last two years. They won the championship last year uh, in 2019 with uh, Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya, and winning it this year as well. And are now leaving the sport. So. Uh, who who's going to take up the mantle? We shall see. Now in GTLM, a much more simple and straightforward story because the GTLM this year was a battle between three different cars. You had the Porsche 911 RSR, a brand new Porsche 911 RSR 19 to IMSA, a completely new engine and uh, exhaust layout, a completely different sounding car, uh, but very, very fast. The now quite long in the tooth BMW M8, and also a brand new, the first ever mid-engined Chevrolet Corvette, the C8R, a car which has been much anticipated. Now a 5.5 liter flat crank V8 sounds very different to the previous C7, which sounded well like a thunderstorm, go <laughs> absolutely extraordinary sounding machine. But this new car is a lot more kind of raw and it's almost like it's running dry. It's a really, really interesting sound. Mounted in the middle of the car. It's been in the works for eight years, this car. Very, very quietly and very privately, of course. The uh, Corvette racing machines are built 
by a company called Pratt and Miller. Uh, and you, a lot of people who may be into um, aviation history or wartime history will recognise the name Pratt because Pratt and Miller, um, their kind of day-to-day business is in defence equipment, satellite equipment, radars, that kind of thing. So building race cars is kind of pretty simple for for for, for them. And um, yeah, the, the new CAR has been developed side by side with the new CA road car, the new version of the of the Corvette. And this new machine is is quite a quite a piece of kit. And um, Corvette had made a little change in their driver lineup, just one change. Jan Magnussen left the team after so much success at the end of last year, and Jordan Taylor left his family team, Wayne Taylor Racing, uh, and and joined uh, and joined Corvette to drive alongside Antonio Garcia in the number four car. The the same pairing of Ollie Gavin and Tommy Milner um, continued. And really the story of the story of GTLM this year was just about the Corvette absolutely pulverizing uh, the field in particular the number 3 car of Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor who just executed so so well. Interestingly there actually when you look really closely into the lap times both in qualifying and in the race actually there's very as is always the case in GTLM there's so little disparity between um, the times of each car, between the BMW, the Porsche and the, the Corvette. But the difference was, and this is such a classic Corvette racing thing, they just delivered on the day. When others made mistakes, when others tripped up, Corvette just plodded on and scored the wins, sometimes when they weren't, uh, when they weren't expected to. And they went on and won the championship at a canter. Uh, they won it by a long, long stretch. In fact, very, very rarely do you see an IMSA championship wrapped up around previous to the end, and that's what they did. Jordan Taylor and Antonio Garcia went into the Sebring 12-hour, the final round of the year, with the championship in their pocket. They could relax. Um, now, also, and while we're on the subject of, of Corvette, we also saw Ollie Gavin have his uh, last full-time drive for the team after so many years with the team, so many Le Mans wins, so many big big victories and championships, but he's going to take a bit of a step back and spend more time at home with, with his family after an incredible career. Will he go back racing? I'm sure we'll see him at some point. I'm sure there will be opportunities that he won't be able to, he won't be able to refuse. <laughs> but we'll come on to who replaces him when we come on to 2021. Now the sad thing is also for GTLM is that we're going to lose Porsche uh, next next year. The uh, Porsche GT program, the official factory program, was put together for the merger between the American Le Mans series and Grand Am back in 2014. And it was a full factory effort backed from Wysak and run by a company called Core Autosport, um, who are based in the United States, who kind of deliver the program, but they all wear Porsche shirts and... The whole thing is bankrolled by a Porsche check, shall we say. And obviously, the, you know, Porsche last year in 2019 won the, the IMSA Championship with Earl Bamber and Lawrence Vantor. And this year came back with, a with a, again, a, a, a very strong lineup: Earl Bamber and Lawrence Vantor in the 912 car, and Nick Tandy and Frederick Makavecki in the 911. So they're coming up with a really strong, really strong driver lineup. Really strong new car, but 
in an incredibly unporsche season, the amount of the just little mistakes here and there, whether that be from the drivers in difficult conditions, we saw a couple of crashes in the wet, which you can't you can't criticise. Um, but there was a number of blunders in pit stops. There was one race, I think it was at Sebring, where the two cars crashed into each other in um, in the pits, which is not really a, not really on. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that would have been an interesting debrief, but. It just there was a couple of times where Porsche had the pace to win and tripped up uh, and made little errors which cost them victories, which is something you just it was very unusual, something that I don't think we'll see repeated somehow. But that really cost them the run at, uh, at a championship. It just was not Porsche's year from a, a fortune or a de- or an execution uh, standpoint. It was very much the year where Corvette delivered when it mattered. It wasn't necessarily a pace advantage, it was very much the deployment of a successful race. In GT Daytona, um, GT Daytona you normally it's unpredictably, unpredictable, unpredictability all around. You know we had most of the season, at the start of the season it was very much focused around uh, Lexus were doing very well and then Acura came in and then finally Porsche came on strong the sole Porsche came on strong very very much at the end and nearly won the championship Patrick Long, Jan Halen and uh, Ryan Hardwick winning the Sebring 12-hour and just missing out on the championship but uh, GT Daytona always um, always unpredictable and almost every race is a, a different scenario in, in, in itself and it's all about trying to deliver as consistently as you can and just try and bag try not have any duff rounds uh, and hopefully you'll be there at the end of the season so what can we um, what can we expect going forward to 2021 well it has been quite a, a silly season so far in the IMSA Championship. In 2021, we are seeing huge amounts of shuffling around. So why don't we start with the number 10, the Wintailer Racing Cadillac. And oh, ha, ha, now there's a there's a habit. So what was the Wintailer Racing Cadillac? It's going to take a bit to get used to. The Wintailer Racing Acura. So in, a, in quite a big shock, and after so many years, over nearly 30 years, um, Wayne Taylor and his then his team Wayne Taylor Racing have been associated with General Motors, uh, whether that be the Corvette brand, the um, Chevy, Chevy brand, Oldsmobile, Cadillac. He's been with all kinds of different GM uh, brands. But to see him go to Acura is uh, something that surprised a lot of people, uh, I think. But the car will still be branded in that very familiar black and blue Konica Minolta livery. The, of course, the Japanese technology company have been an incredible support to the Wayne Racing program and this new Macura that they've got of course it's an ex-Penske car and um, of course Penske's two cars have been split between two teams which I'll come on to who the other one is in a minute so the Wayne Racing Acura has a completely new driver lineup none of the drivers from 2019 for that car or that team have been brought over so running the full season now one one driver who could have been quite confidently predicted was of course Wayne's son Ricky who comes back to the family team with another IMSA championship under his belt he's now got two under two under his belt um, and of course he is a contracted driver to HPD Honda Performance Development who run the Acura racing program so he's effectively seconded to the Wayne Taylor racing team 
um, from um, from Acura. So he knows the car inside out. He's obviously just won a championship in it, so he knows the way around it. Co-driving with him will be one of the finest prototype racing drivers in the world, Philippe Albuquerque. And uh, those who have watched him in the World Endurance Championship and at Le Mans this year in the LMP2 car for um, for United Autosports will know exactly how impressive the Portuguese man is. So Ricky Taylor and Philippe Albuquerque, that's going to be a strong, strong uh, lineup. Of course, we've seen Philippe in IMSA before. Um, he did very well um, with um, Mustang sampling racing in the Cadillac DPI a couple of years ago. I, I seem to remember an ex, yes, a brilliant race win at Long Beach um, two, two years ago as well. For the endurance races, they will be joined by Alexander Rossi, who has experience of the car as the endurance racing driver um, when from the Penske days. And uh, amongst uh, Alexander's full-time IndyCar commitments, he'll come in to run the endurance races. Elio Castroneves, Ricky's uh, former co-driver from Penske, will come in to race at Daytona and go for that winner's Rolex watch. The other Acura will be run by Mike Shank Racing or Meyer Shank Racing. And Mike Shank is a, a guy who has built up his sports car racing and now IndyCar racing uh, team slowly but surely and done it very much uh, pulled up by the bootstraps. Not a guy who comes from massive money, doesn't have another huge business to effectively subsidise the team. He does it completely the old-fashioned way. He has to go out and get private finance to fund the effort and usually fills his cars with really, really good drivers as, as well. And uh, Mike Shank, uh, he should be, I'm so pleased for him personally that he's been able to step up to the top level of IMSA competition once again and with a properly competitive car, a championship winning car of the last two years. So he will move up to uh, DPI with Acura and in his car will be Olivier Pla. Another very, very strong um, prototype racer. And Dane Cameron, of course, the 2019 IMSA WeatherTech champion in that car as well. So it's going to be fascinating to watch these two Acuras now run by single car teams with champions in each. Juan Pablo Montoya, the 2019 champion, will come into that lineup. He will race with, with Meyershank in the endurance round. And a, a very much a Meyershank regular for the Rolex 24, AJ Almendinger, will go to race for that team as well. But we have a returning name to IMSA for 2021 again in the DPI category. So for, for the fans of racing, the name Chip Ganassi will res resonate with many. Chip Ganassi, of course, a very, very successful NASCAR and IndyCar team owner, of course. His driver, Scott Dixon, who's driven with him for his entirety of his IndyCar career, has just signed off his sixth IndyCar championship. And those who remember... Uh, Dario Franchitti, of course, who won a couple of his Indy 500s with Chip Ganassi in the Target car. Um, you know, remember that fondly if you're a Scot Scotsman like me. Um, and Chip Ganassi, of course, ran the very, very, um, what should we say, prominent uh, 4GT um, factory programme, which ran from 2016 to 2019 with a lot of success and winning a lot of big races. So that was a GT car. He's stepping back up to prototypes, but Chip knows a thing or two about winning uh, both IMSA, the IMSA Championship and also the Rolex 24 
with prototype cars. He won a lot of races with Riley Daytona prototypes uh, in in the past. So he returns with uh, a Cadillac DPI, which he bought from the uh, Yunkos team, which had been out of IMSA for a little while, but bought their old chassis and will run it for the whole season. Now, their driver lineup is hugely exciting. They've actually take, taken up uh, Renger van der Zanden. Now, Renger, for me, is not a, not a household name, but Renger, is a, he raced very, very well. He's raced in IMSA for a long time, and he's done, he did incredibly well with, um, with Wayne Taylor Racing. And I, when I heard the news a, a month or two ago that Renger would not be kept on, at Wayne Taylor Racing, I have to say I was really surprised um, because he was the fastest guy in the car in the Rolex 24, fastest lap of the race, an extraordinarily quick, extraordinary quick driver. Um, but uh, he he became a free agent, and I'm delighted that he's very much landed on his feet with Chip Ganassi Racing. I mean, what a what a place to to go and race. His teammate will be. Kevin Magnussen. Now, if you're a Formula One fan, you'll know that name. Of course, Kevin spent a number of years in Formula One, starting off with McLaren and then going on to drive uh, for for Haas. Now, Kevin is is uh, out out of a drive at the, at the end of the season with Formula One and gone off to look for for other things. And he, uh, of course, his father Jan Magnussen has a lot of experience of the Emsa paddock with his time for Corvette Racing. So, Kevin Magnussen will be racing for Chip Ganassi in this Cadillac DPI and I think that particular driver lineup is going to be really really solid. For the longer races of course you would have to expect that Scott Dixon, a man who's got so much success over Daytona, Sebring, all kinds of sports car racing, Scott Dixon is going to be a man that we, you could almost guarantee is going to be the third driver in that car for the endurance races. Who will be their fourth driver for Daytona? Who knows? I'd love to see Dario Franchitti getting back there. Of course, he's done a little bit of classic racing. Would be so cool to see him back in a car again, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Now, one of the championship contenders this year, the Action Express uh, Wheel and Engineering Cadillac of Felipe Nazar and Pipo Durrani will come back in the, the same form again. No change there at all. And they are always a force to be reckoned with. Felipe Nazar, an ex-Formula 1 driver, Pipo Durrani incredibly quick at the wheel of a prototype and they are a force to be reckoned with <laughs> their third driver their endurance driver mike conway arguably the fastest driver in a prototype sports car in the world at this moment in time uh, as well mazda they will actually be dropping down from two cars to one car which is a bit of a pity but might actually work in their favour with being able to channel all of their efforts into one car. Only time will tell. And they've kind of pulled their um, pulled their driver resources. So um, Harry Tinknell will join Ollie Jarvis um, in the full-time uh, seats. Now, Harry and Ollie were in two different cars in previous times, and they will pair up together. And Jonathan Vomarito, the American, will be their third driver. As a full-season entry, watch for them. Harry Tinknell... And Ollie Jarvis, seriously, seriously quick drivers indeed. Now, of course, we do have one, uh, um, a one-off entry for the Rolex 24-hour at Daytona. There is an Action Express Cadillac um, coming in to just for one race. And the driver lineup is, to say it was stacked, would be an understatement. We have Jimmy Johnson, the most successful NASCAR driver of all time, seven-time champion. Uh, Simon Pagenaud, um, Indy 500 winner. Mike Rockenfeller, 
again, sports car racing legend, and Kamui Kobayashi, former Formula 1 driver and Le Mans winner. Um, so, yeah, you've, <laughs> you've got four absolute guns in that car uh, uh, as well. And I think a lot of, uh, certainly a lot of media eyes and a lot of fans' eyes are going to be on that car calling it um, to do very well. So that's the DPI class. Just loads of change there. Lots going on. Uh, and that's going to that's going to be so exciting. And of course, that's the that's the category. That's the class that's going for the outright wins as well. That's very important. So the 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 proper prestige is all going to be with the with with the DPI class. On the other hand, GT Le Mans, the um, all kind of factory GT category is a little bit more of a different story, unfortunately. Having two full-time factory Porsches not turning up for 2021 leaves a gigantic hole. The other fact is is that it is still very uncertain whether what sort of programme BMW will have next year. Of course, BMW have had a factory-backed programme for a number of years with the Rahal Letterman Lanigan team. Uh, and if you're thinking, is that the same Rahal as Bobby Rahal? Correct. If you're thinking, is that the same Letterman as David Letterman, the talk show host? It is. So the that's been a pretty impressive programme and maybe not quite had the success championship-wise that they want, but they have won the last two Rolex 24-hour Daytonas. But it is, there is a huge question mark over whether they be back for the whole season. Will they just do the long races or will they be there at all? Now, let's say they're not there at all. That leaves Corvette on their own basically, as things stand. You know, Corvette have confirmed they've got two cars. They will have uh, Jordan Taylor and Antonio Garcia returning in the number three car with their endurance racing driver, Nicky Katzberg, joining them for the long races. In the other car, and something, I have to say, only in 2020 would something like this happen. Um, of course, Ollie Gavin has has retired. That's not necessarily the, the, um, uh, the unexpected part, but Nick Tandy... A driver who is, who we all thought was Porsche through and through, you know, has been with the factory for nearly ten years, not far off ten years, and has won all the big races, uh, with the um, with the team Daytona, Nurburgring, Spa, Le Mans. <laughs> it's won Le Mans outright, of course, in twenty fifteen. Has a Porsche Carrera Cup team in the United Kingdom. And then the rumour came out that he was going to Corvette. And everyone's like, what? Surely, surely not. And it turned out to be true. Nick Tandy will drive a Corvette next year. It it, it just, I still can't quite um, I believe that that is, that is what's happening. But it is. And Corvette wouldn't sign someone of Nick Tandy's calibre if they weren't thinking, uh, if, if they weren't, you know, absolutely sure about going into you know not just one season but two three seasons you're not going to bring someone in like that as a stopgap um so nick tandy will go alongside tommy milner and they will be joined in the longer races by alexander sims uh, the bmw formula e racer or now former bmw formula e racer um so corvette have got two completely stacked full factory back cars are they going to have anybody to race against that is still has a big question mark over it, and that and you actually have to really feel for for Corvette because they are effectively propping up an entire category right now. And will we see them transfer over to the World Endurance Championship at some point to, so that they've got somebody to race against? I don't know. 
I really don't know. Now, there is a, a strong rumour that the uh, WeatherTech team, of course, WeatherTech, the main sponsor of the dual championship, the WeatherTech team, which currently runs in the GT Daytona category with Cooper McNeil and Tony Villander, it, it is highly tipped that they will they will actually convert their Ferrari 488 GT3 into a GTLM spec because apparently the car can be converted with uh, for a price of course um, now it looks like they are going to enter in GTLM of course uh, Cooper McNeil is very much uh, well he is rated as a silver driver so he's kind of at the top end of the amateur rankings if you like and then the gold and platinum are your kind of top pros um, so He's, um, but he is a very quick silver, that's for sure. It make me no disrespect at all to, to Cooper, but you're going up against Nick Tandy, Jordan Taylor, Antonio Garcia, so it is a bit of a mismatch. However, I get the impression that maybe we might see that WeatherTech Ferrari for the whole season more as a way to give Corvette some sort of, or to guarantee at least, some sort of competition for, for, for Corvette. Also, for if you, if you compare that in GTD, we could see... 15 to 20 cars next season so if you, if you play the odds on it if both the Corvettes hit problems they could win some big races in the GTLM category so um, we'll see if that's the case I'd actually I'd love to see it and actually I think it's desperately required now for some of the longer races we might see some more one-off entries Proton Competition who runs several cars in the World Endurance Championship for uh, Pro-Am lineups are said to be bringing cars over or using the the old factory cars that are left in the United States to um, to race at Daytona. Will it go on any further than that? It doesn't appear likely. So GTLM, very much, it could be at worst it could be a ghost category next year. At best, it could be a David against Goliath. Um, and actually, that could be quite a cool storyline as well to see a private team, albeit a very very well-funded private team to go up against the might of Corvette's factory effort. Finally, let's just talking about GTD. The now, the, by the nature of GTD being a pro-am category, usually founded uh, funded by private business people or wealthy people, um, and then having pro drivers run alongside them. A lot of the time, these programs get announced quite late in the day. Now, we have had a few announcements over the last couple of weeks. But I expect that between now and Christmas and in the early stages of January, we'll start to see a lot more a lot more cars becoming confirmed. But just in the last couple of days, um, it's been confirmed that Magnus Racing will retire or sell their uh, Lamborghini and will swap it for an Acura NSX. And that will be um, Magnus's long-standing pro driver Andy Lally and John Potter in that car. Lexus will come back with Jack Hawksworth and Alan Tealit, Aaron Tealitz, who were one of the proper standout driver pairings last year. And the most exciting for me is that, of course, Earl Bamber and Lawrence Vantor had, of course, driven in GTLM in the Porsche factory team. Uh, but they, they obviously, that is that program is finished. We don't know what Lawrence Vantor is going to do yet. We just it's, There's no sign of what's going to happen yet. But Earl Bamber has confirmed that he will race again in IMSA next year, but he will race in the GTD category, and he will race with Rob Ferriol, the amateur driver who is the owner of Team Hardpoint. So it will be an Earl Bamber Motorsport Team Hardpoint joint venture. They will obviously race in a Porsche 911, of course, uh, with, with Earl as the pro driver. And you have to say... 
that he's probably going to be the absolute top driver in that particular category. So it's going to be, IMSA next year is going to be as exciting as ever before we even get into what is around the corner with new regulations and, and what have you in 2022. If you've never watched IMSA before, I can thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. The Championship has a fantastic live streaming service, which is available completely free. Uh, it just type in IMSA, I-M-S-A, TV. The first race of the season is at the end of January, the Rolex 24 hour at Daytona, and the season runs all the way through the year until the middle of October um, with the Petit Le Mans. Some of the races are obviously longer, you have the 24 hours of Daytona, you have the 12 hours of Sebring, Watkins 6 hours of the Glen, um, and uh, the uh, Petit Le Mans which is 10 hours, but most of the other races are 2 hours and 40 minutes and even have a sprint race of 100 minutes on the streets of Long Beach, which is an amazing spectacle. If you don't get to catch the races live, IMSA have a fantastic YouTube channel, which usually the race comes on about three or four days after the event, and you can watch the whole thing uh, with live commentary and what have you. Watch it as live if, if you like, and it's the coverage is superb. So I can highly, highly recommend it. You'll see some drivers, some names you'll definitely recognize, and some really cool race cars as well. Thanks so much for listening to this bumper show all about the 2020 IMSA season and looking forward to 2021 as well. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast.